great to be free, isn't it? Amen. We'll have the young people go uh, with the Scarabellos over to uh, Junior Church now. At this time, it's good to have the Perlinger family back with us. They've been gone for a long time. Amen. But And they've had some health things and COVID and done, done all that type of stuff, but they're back. Praise the Lord. And so good to have them here with us this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We've been going through a study in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. We're going to look at uh, verses 19 and 20 of this. Let's all stand as we, uh, as we read this portion of Scripture together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19 and 20, is showing uh, respect for the Word of God. It says, uh, let's all just read it together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19. It says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for so, uh, saving our soul and, Lord, setting us free. We thank you, God, for the opportunity as believers to meet together, to worship together, to love you, and to uh, just to share how good you are. Father, I pray today that as we spend this time together in your word, that we would uh, stop and think about your goodness and your mercy and, Lord, how wonderful it is to be able to share Jesus Christ with our friends and family and, and those around us who know not the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, God, today that you would uh, prick our hearts and, and Lord, just uh, stir us and, and challenges, uh, challenge us to, to share the gospel more with others so that they might enjoy Jesus as their Savior. Father, we thank you and praise you today. And I pray, God, for your words. Pray that you'd bind Satan. Uh, Lord, I know that he's alive and well, but God, you are so much greater than he. So we thank you today in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Four years after the sinking of the Titanic, a young Scotsman uh, rose in a meeting in Hamilton, Canada and said this. He says, I am a survivor of the sinking of the Titanic. He said, when I was drifting out on a piece of spar that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper uh, across my path. And as he, I was, as he was out there, he was on a, a wrecked piece of the ship, and uh, Mr. Harper said, man, are you saved? He said, I responded to him. He said, no, I am not. Mr. Harper replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He said, Mr. Harper then kind of floated out and, and went away from me, and for, for some time I didn't see him. Then all of a sudden, amazingly, he came back across my path, and he asked the question again. He said, man, are you saved now? He said, I said to him, honestly, I can say I, I'm not. And once again, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Shortly after that, John Harper floated out, and he sank, and I saw him no more. He said, there alone in the night, with two miles of water beneath me, I believed and put my trust in Jesus Christ. I am John Harper's last 
convert. You know, when we leave this world, it'd be great to have our last words said that we were, or somebody got saved because of our words, sharing Jesus Christ. Outside of receiving Christ as our Savior, hey, there's no greater joy or thrill for the Christian quite like leading someone else to Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, the Apostle Paul counted it a, a, a privilege to be put in trust with the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you're there. Go over to verse number 4. Paul said this, But as we were allowed of God, it was a, it was a privilege, allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. I'm here today to tell you it's exciting to see a life which was one minute lost and on their way to hell and the next minute to be set free from their sins and on their way to heaven by the power of the gospel. You know, it's sad to say, sad to say that according to some statistics, 95% of people who, are, who call themselves Christians, born again, have never led one person to Christ. They're missing out. They're missing out on the joy. We were sharing this morning about how to win people to Christ, and I've shared this with you many, many times. It's not original with me. You say, well, Pastor, how can you lead somebody to Christ? You've got to have a kind of a pattern. You've got to have a, a direction, a method, or a way that you're trying to get the gospel to them. I share with them four simple letters, S-P-P-R. The S first S starts with sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody's done things wrong. Well, pastor, not me. You don't understand. I'm a pretty good person. God says you're a sinner. God says that we've all sinned. And the, the first P is price. There's a price for your sin. Just like when you go down here to the, the, uh, the grocery store and you get a bunch of groceries and you come up to the counter, uh, they're going to ask you for some money. You say, well, pastor, man, that money is going, if the price of the things is going way up, hey, well, yeah, that's true, isn't it? it just, and it's going to continue to keep going that way. But you know what? There's a price for all the sins that we've done. The wages of sin is death. All of us are sinners. The wage is the same for all of us. There's a price, and that's death. And God talks about a spiritual death, our physical death, and a spiritual death. We understand the physical. Spiritual death is to be separated from God in a place called hell. Never to be able to go in the presence of God. Never to live with God in heaven. The wages of sin is death, and you could pay that price if you choose. But somebody paid it for us. Amen. Jesus Christ. The last part of Romans 6.23, it says, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we must receive. We must believe in our heart what God has said, that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day, and that we want to turn from our sins and turn to Jesus Christ. It's not just a bunch of words we speak. It's what we believe in our heart. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today, you're either saved or you're lost. You're either, you are either on your way to heaven because you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, or you are not. It's very simple. The heartbeat of God, I submit to you, is the saving of souls. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
You know, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't say, oh, good, I'm glad another one died and went to hell. He doesn't, that's not how God is. He doesn't want people to die and go to hell. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplication, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men to be saved. Well, why doesn't God then have everybody to be saved? Because God gives us a free will. God didn't make us robots. God could force people to be saved. But have you ever seen when people are forced to do something? They don't do it very well, do they? They don't do it with all their heart. They begrudge having to do it. You know, when my parents used to make me do something, I'd do it, but I just kind of hate it. I just... You know, okay, I'm doing it, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, inside I'm grumbling and mumbling. I know, I know none of you ever do that, right? You never have that problem? You just, every time when you're asked to do something, you do it with joy. And, and is there, Now, let's be honest. This is church, okay? Are there, are there things at work and home chores that you have to do that you don't always like? Are there some of those? Yeah, exactly. You know, I didn't, I didn't as a young person growing up, I didn't like going out and cleaning out all the poop uh, from the rabbit hutch and the chicken, the chicken coop. That stuff was stinky. It was smelly. I hated that stuff, but I had to do it. But you know what? I would rather go out and play. I'd rather go have fun. And you know, as, as you get older, you get more jobs, there's more of those type of things. Young people, can I tell you something? Enjoy being young while you're young, amen? <laughs> Enjoy it, because there's coming a time when you're going to have to get up every day, go to work, and, uh, and put forth the effort so that you can have a check. You want a wage, right? You want to get something back. But may I share with you that God wants all men to be saved. Every person. He doesn't, we, we say, well, that person shouldn't be saved. Can I tell you something? Even Putin needs to be saved. Amen. God created Putin. And one day, unless he gets saved, he's going to die and go to hell. May I share with you that every person needs to be saved, and God desires they be saved. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. He's not concerned about red and yellow and, and, and all those different colors. I like that little song the children sing. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 is, is, is important as well. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen. Romans 5.8, But God commendeth, he demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our text today, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we find three benefits of winning others to Jesus Christ. We are commanded to go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. We're to go and to preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died for their sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and that he arose again the third day. We need to get that message out 
That's why we have tracks. That's why we, that's why we encourage you to go out and go soul winning. That's why we go out soul winning in our community. That's why as you go into the, the different places to the, the, the hair salons and gas stations, and we encourage you to take tracks and talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, I hope that this message will encourage you to step out in faith and to lead someone else to Jesus Christ. There was a man that was, that was a barber, and he'd heard a message about the importance of leading somebody to Jesus Christ. Now, and, and, and he was, he, you know, the guy, when you're in a barber chair, you never know what you're going to get when you start trying to witness to people in a barber chair. You know, uh, you're going to have a mohawk. You're going to have a big patch out of your, uh, out of your, out of your hair. And as as he was, uh, he was talking. Uh, you know, as he's thinking over in his mind, the guy was in the chair. He had that little white thing around him, and uh, he, you know, he's he's getting ready to, uh, he's getting ready to shave the, around the ears and stuff like that. He had one of those straight razors. And he's going down. He says, you know, I need to tell this person about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what do I, you know, tell him, uh, you know, they need to know that they're a sinner and that they're going to die one day and they're going to go to heaven. And as he went through and, and did it a few more times, make sure it's nice and sharp, he put it up to the guy's throat. He says, now, if you were to die right now, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? That's not exactly what we want to do, folks. We need to, uh, you know, kind of consider, you know, where we're at. You know, uh, heard of a heart surgeon doing the same thing. You know, as you're getting ready to go in, are you sure, you know, that you're, if you're to die today, well, he's going to be working on my heart. I don't want to, you know, are you going to go to heaven? Well, definitely going to want to think about that one, amen? Um, so, but we want to get the gospel out. We want to get the message out. I pray as we think about this today, of leading somebody else to Jesus Christ, that we will not be content with just being saved. But that one day, when we get to heaven, that someone will come and say, you know what, I'm here because of you. Amen. I'm here because of you. You know, the Bible says when we get to heaven, we'll know even as we're known. We're going to know people in heaven that we never knew before. And I wonder, is there going to be somebody in heaven because you took the time, you invested your life, your resources, to share the gospel with someone else? I want to look at one of the benefits that we see here in this portion of Scripture in verse number 19. When we win others to Christ, it gives the soul winner hope. Look what it says. Verse number 19, Paul is speaking here. He says, for what is our hope or, our, or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For what is our hope? And he's talking here to the believers these people that he led to Christ on his missionary journey. You remember here in Thessalonica, these people, they heard the gospel, they believed, they accepted the gospel with a ready heart as we've, as we've looked at it. And, and he said, are not you our hope? He said, well, our hope is supposed to be in the Lord. Well, stop and think, of, excuse me, stop and think about what he's doing. When we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are lost, and we see them receive Jesus as their personal Savior, it gives hope to the soul winner. You say, well, how? First of all, realizing that the message of the gospel is still relevant for today. Amen. It's still relevant for today. People who are lost and laden down with their sins can be set free by the power of the gospel. It is amazing what the gospel, the good news, can do in a heart and life. 
the gospel still works. Receiving the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who realize that they were sinners in need of a Savior can be given, forgiven of their sins if they will humble themselves and receive Jesus into their heart as their only Lord and Savior. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. The Apostle Paul speaks about the power of the gospel. You know, I've seen people whose lives are all a mess and uh, people that are going astray. It was good to see uh, uh, the, uh, the mounts here, Ray and Becky, the other day on Wednesday night. It was exciting. If you, if you say, well, Pastor, I didn't, I didn't see them. Oh, they just kind of popped in. Praise the Lord. But you know, one, one day, Ray came and said in my office, Pastor, we need to talk. And we went and we talked. And I shared with him the gospel, and he was having, the, the things were just not, his life was having some problems. I shared with him the gospel, and I said, Ray, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? Because, see, you know what, folks? I know one thing. I can't solve all your problems. But there is a God, and there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, who can solve your problems. He can take your life, which is in confusion, and he can bring peace. He can give joy to your heart. He can, he can put things together. He can rebuild marriages. He can do all sorts of things. The things that seem impossible with man are possible with God. And that day he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. It was exciting to see him get saved. And then we talked about getting baptized. And then he was baptized. We're going to have a baptismal service here in a moment. And, and that's pretty exciting. I always get excited about baptisms. So well, what's baptism? Does that save you? No, it doesn't save us. It just says, you know what? I believe Jesus died for my sins. He was buried and rose again. And I'm identifying with my Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a testimony of a person who has asked Jesus Christ. And it's the first step once we are saved. It's to be baptized and identify with Jesus Christ. And so um, as, we, as we think of this, this idea here of the power of the gospel, it changes lives. And Brother Ray, he, he, uh, we were starting to do discipleship, and then so he was taking the material. He says, Pastor, can I get another copy of this? I want to share it with my mom. And so he was doing over-the-phone uh, discipleship with his mom because he said, man, this is just exciting. Folks, can I tell you something? It's exciting to see people get saved and lives to be changed and transformed. Brother Ray's life was. Folks, the Apostle Paul, as he's talking here in Romans chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I am a debtor, a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to, to you that are at Rome also. Notice verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Boy, he says, I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Boy, it's changed my life, and it will change your life. And when Jesus comes into your life, he will make a difference in your life. I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know what? I'm a Christian pastor. But they, they live like the devil. They act like the devil. They talk like the devil. They don't want spiritual things. Can I tell you something? I would, I would help you to understand something. Maybe you're not saved. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Jesus said this, by your fruits you shall know them. 
by the evidence of your life. What you have coming out of your life is an evidence of what is going on inside. It's not just saying some words. It's taking the words of God and applying it to your life. As I've said before, if, if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. God commands, this is how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be kind. You say, well, pastor, I know Ephesians 4.32. I know, I know, I know. People, I, people do that to me. Well, I know, I know, I know, I know. You know what that is? Can I tell you this right here? This is pride. See, it's not enough to know. It's what you do with what you know. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You're only made free when you apply that principle, those principles to your life. That means, when it, as I come and deal with people, and, and uh, I'm dealing with situations, I'm supposed to be kind to people. Well, I, you know how I am, Pastor. I'm just short-tempered. Well, then, get with the Lord and have him to help you to change your behavior. Well, Pastor, I'm just a German. You know, Germans just speak their mind. That's why Jesus came to save you from yourself, so that you'd be more like Jesus Christ. See, you're not going to be made free until you take the principles of God and start living the principles of God in your life. You shall know the truth. Truth shall make you free only if you apply it. If you don't apply it, may I share with you, you'll still be the same miserable person you were before you got saved. Except I think even more so now because you know what happens? When you have the truth and you don't do the truth, there's guilt because you're not doing what God commands for you to do. But when you're doing what's right, and you're walking that path and going the direction the Lord wants you to go, may I share with you? There's joy. But there's also hope. The message of the gospel is still relevant for today. It still saves people today. It still saves people today. The story is told of Dr. John R. Rice. He was in a preaching conference with, with Gypsy Smith. He was another evangelist, and, and they were meeting together, and Dr. John R. Rice was going from the, the, the meeting hall to his hotel, and, and uh, they got, he got into, a, uh, got into a cab and was going down and, and trying to talk to the cab driver about the Lord Jesus Christ, about salvation, and, and, and he asked him the question, you know, are, if you were to die today, uh, would you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven? And the tear, uh, tears started to well up in the, in the eyes of the cab driver. And he said, yes. And he said, you know what, some, some old man, rickety old man, just talked to me about that same message, and I have Jesus Christ in my life. It was Gypsy Smith. He beat him to the, to the, the, the punch of trying to lead this guy to Christ. Folks, can I tell you something? It is sweet to know Jesus as your Savior. You say, people say, you know what, Pastor, being saved is a personal thing. I don't talk with it about anybody. When people make that statement, it, it is a personal thing. My father-in-law told me that. When I tried to win him to Christ, at the, when we first got married, I tried to give the gospel to my father-in-law. I says, Phil, he says, I'm going to tell you something. That's a personal thing. I don't talk with that about, to that about anybody. I mean, it's personal. It's between you and God. I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, so don't ever talk to me about that anymore. Well, there was one thing he couldn't stop me doing. I started praying for him. I had been praying for him before, but I was really praying for him now. And so I just prayed and said, Lord, give me opportunity. Give me doors so that I might be able to give the gospel to him. You know what? He watched a life 
that represented Jesus Christ. He watched the, the life of my family, my children. When my ch you say, well, pastor, those, grand those grandbabies can weasel their heart into the life of grandma and grandpa. I'm telling you right now, young people, grandmas and grandpas love those little children. They love, even when they get, they get big and they, you know, they look down on you, they still love you. Those little ones can reach the hearts of those grandparents like no one else can. And I remember my son, Tim. Well, our son, Tim. I should, you know, I'm not taking all credit because Tawny spent more time with him than I did. But our son, Tim, when he went down to spend time with Grandma and Grandpa, and they went down on the beach, and they're talking. You know, he's trying to win. And he's only a little boy. Oh, he's six years old. Or, he was seven years old at the time. And he took a bunch of tracks with him. And so he's going up, walking up and down the beach. I mean, you know, kids, let's go down and build sandcastles and stuff like that. Let's go out and go swimming. Tim's taking tracks, going up and down the track. Hey, do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? And he's passing out tracks at the age of seven. And Grandma was watching. And he was tr trying to lead a, a young boy to the Lord. You know what? That touched the heart of Grandma. And Grandpa, I mean, you know, Grandma would share with the Grandpa everything that went on. And when they came up to visit... We'd have devotions, and they'd say, well, we'd go into our room, in, into the kids' room, and we'd have a time in the Word of God, and we'd pray. And they'd say, what are you doing in there? Well, we have time in the Word of God, and we pray. Hey, can we go in and listen to what you're doing? Sure, come on in. God was using all these different situations to soften their heart. One day, I had the privilege of leading my father-in-law to the Lord. Folks, can I tell you something? We have an opportunity to impact others for Jesus Christ. And young people, you have an opportunity to impact unsaved loved ones for Jesus Christ by just speaking out and sharing Jesus Christ. Hey, the hope that this message is still relevant for today. I want you to see another point under this idea that the blood of Jesus Christ can still cleanse a person's sins no matter what they have done. That gives us hope. You know, there's some people that have done some horrendous things. They say, well, you know what? Surely God couldn't save me from my sins. I'm telling you here today that God can save you from the guttermost to the uttermost. John Wesley was robbed as he was returning from a service one night. And a bandit uh, was, uh, as he was leaving, Wesley called out to him. John Wesley called out and said, Stop! I have something more to give you. The bandit turns around and, and uh, he was kind of surprised. And John Wesley said, my friend, uh, you may live to regret this life that you're living right now. And if you do, there's something to remember. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. The thief hurried away and and he took, uh, he took those words, though, in his mind. And John Wesley began to pray that, God, that you would so burden that heart and, burden, and bring those thoughts into his mind that that person would one day be saved. Years later, Wesley was meeting some people after a Sunday service, and he was approached by a stranger. This man, this visitor, now was a Christian and a successful businessman. He was the one that robbed him that night. He came up to John Wesley and said, 
I just want to thank you. I want to thank you. I owe all that I have and all of the change in my life. I'm transformed. I owe it all to you. John Wesley said, no, you don't owe it to me. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Folks, there's hope in the fact that no matter how, uh, how wicked or how evil uh, people are or what they have done in their past, they can be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's power in the blood. Would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. In the blood. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. I like the song, The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power. You know, when we win others to Jesus Christ, it gives us hope that the gospel, the gospel that I got saved on when I was seven years old is still good today. People can be saved from their sins by the blood of Christ. God can still take a broken vessel and make it over anew. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Do you need a new start in life today? I'll tell you right now, there's hope for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can come to Jesus today and ask him to be your savior, and he will make you a new vessel, a new vessel. I want you to see a second point as we look back at that portion of scripture, that seeing the lost come to Christ brings joy to the heart of the soul winner. Go back there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It brings joy to the heart of a soul winner. For what is our hope, notice, or joy, or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ who is coming? For ye are our glory and what? Joy. You know, seeing others trust Jesus Christ as, as their Savior is a happy time. It's a time of joy. It is. It's a time of joy. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 15, verse number 10. When a person receives Christ, there's joy in heaven. Luke chapter 15, look what Jesus says here in this portion. A lot of us didn't realize this. Well, you know, Pastor, I was at home, or I was at church, or I was at camp, or I was, you know, I was just off by myself, and I realized I was a sinner, and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. Well, Consider what Jesus said about that moment of time. Luke chapter 15 and verse 10. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Likewise I say un unto you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Yesterday when Xander got saved, can I tell you something? There was woo, joy in heaven. You say, Pastor, what was it? You wake me up, Pastor. Well, it's about time. You know what? There was rejoicing in heaven. The angels were rejoicing. They were excited. You say, well, Pastor, can people and, and folk up there, uh, can they see what's going on? I think so. The angels know it. 
If there's joy in the presence of the angels, when one sinner repented, that apparently they must see what's going on. Hey, there was rejoicing on Wednesday night when Maddie came at the, on, the, on the other side and received Jesus Christ as her Savior. She came, started coming in, in a vacation Bible school and has been coming on the bus and praise God for, for Jeff and Tammy that have been bringing, their, bringing them faithfully oh, week after week after week. And on Wednesday night, she wanted to get saved. Huh, there was rejoicing in heaven. You know, some of us, well, you know, when you get to be like me, when you get to be my age, then you'll just kind of calm down. i tell you what, I hope I never lose the joy Amen. of people getting saved. You know what you need? If you're like this, then you need to get on your knees before God and ask God to give you a fire in your soul once again. You're just a cold-hearted Christian. I'll tell you what, souls are the heartbeat of God. When your heart's cold, you don't, the things of God don't stir you. But I'll tell you what, when you get on fire with God, get on the same page with God, all of a sudden the things that make his, uh, cheer his heart will cheer your heart. Joy in heaven. The people, when people were saved, when people asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior, they were joyful. They were joyful. Look at Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter 8, here we have the, the account of Philip. He goes down to Samaria and he shares the gospel in Acts chapter 8, verse number 5. Then Philip, he was one of the deacons in the church there in Jerusalem. He went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. What did he preach? The gospel. Jesus Christ died for their sins. He was buried and rose again. You need to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Put your trust and faith in Jesus and you can be saved. And that's the message he preached. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, they, they gave heed. They, they didn't just say, oh, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. No, no, they gave heed. They took what he said, and they, they acted upon it. They acted upon it. Well, when you act upon the truth, as we talked about, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When you apply the truth of what God says, and you take hold of it, and God says, I need to be saved, I need to receive Christ as my Savior, then it works in my life. And I have salvation. The Bible says, For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, uh, that possessed with them, that, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Why? Because people were saved. You know what? When revivals, we've had three great revivals, major revivals in America. And when those revivals started, they were in the, some of the darkest times of America. Hey, we're in a dark time right now. Spiritually and morally, we are, we are in a dark time. People don't care about God. They don't care about the things of God. But I'm here today to tell you that the truth of God, God can still turn America around if God's people will turn around and get right with him. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God has promised 
I'm telling you today, it is not who we put in the White House or in Congress or in Senate that's going to change America and turn us around. It's when God's people, the people who call themselves Christians, get right with God and do what God says and say, God, you know what? You are the, on the throne of my life. I want you to be all in all in me. And my life is in your hands. You do with it whatever you want. We'll start seeing God do some great things in America once again. When we see these great awakenings that have happened across America, people's lives, when they received Christ as their Savior, they, their lives began to be changed, and there was joy in their life because God was doing something that they could not do themselves. There was joy in the city of Samaria. Look over in just a little bit further down. Philip is, is witnessing, had been witnessing to a, an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Verse 35, he says, Then Philip, God had led Philip to, to this eunuch, and Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they're in a, they're in a, a chariot. As they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And you know what? Here, here he's... Philip had started with the fact that when Jesus, he was virgin born, he'd come into the world, he was God's son, uh, he came into the world to save sinners. And he talked about the baptism of Jesus Christ. He said, Pastor, I don't know whether I have to be baptized or not. Is that man's idea or is that just what man says? No, no, God says we're to go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Son, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's God's command. Once we are saved, we're to be baptized as an identification with Jesus Christ, baptism does not save us. Baptism just identifies us. Like this ring identifies that I'm married. If I took the ring off, I'm still married. I don't know if I can get it off anymore. <laughs> I think it's shrunk. But you know what? If I took that off, I'm still married. I've made a covenant with, with my wife down here. Uh, we're married. When I ask Jesus to be my Savior, I'm saved. But when I am baptized, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ. I believe he's my Savior. He died on the cross for my sins. He was buried in the third day. He rose from the dead. And I, have a, I died to my old self. I, was, I buried that life. And now I'm walking in newness of life. That's what baptism is all about. It's just a picture. It witnesses to people who are lost and to those that are saved. And so this man is saying, well, what, you know, it's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? He wanted to, to, to be baptized. Philip said, if thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. See, before, you're, before you are saved, or before you're baptized, you have to be a believer. That's why we call it believer's baptism. You have to believe something. You have to believe about Jesus Christ. You say, well, pastor, when I was a little baby, I was sprinkled. Yeah, you were just a little wet baby. That's all you were. You say, well, pastor, I, I was raised in a religion that, te that teaches this idea of sprinkling. I understand that. But we need to look at what the Bible says about baptism. The word baptize means to immerse because it pictures for us the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here, this guy wanted to be baptized. Now, notice, he says, you can if you believe. And notice what he says. I believe that Jesus, the name Jesus means Savior. He's believing that Jesus is the Savior, the name Jesus I mean, Savior, they shall, call him they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. 
He was buried and rose again. Notice, I believe that Jesus Christ, Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one. God had promised that he was going to send one that was going to be the Messiah who was going to come and he was going to die and he talked about where he was going to be born and all these different things in the Old Testament. They knew all these things. He said, I believe that Jesus, the human name that was given to him, I believe he is a savior. He's the one that God promised and notice what else? He is the son of God. He had settled it in his heart. I believe. I have received what God said about his son. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. He immersed them. Notice, they went down into the water. He didn't go down and say, well, let me get, get, get a cup of water here. I'll get a cup of water and I'll spray it on you. No, they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. Notice, and he went on his way, what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Hey, Philip, when he was in Samaria, saw people getting saved, there was joy. Hey, this Ethiopian eunuch, guess what? When he got saved, there was what? Joy. You know what? To, to a, a soul winner, a person who's trying to win people to Christ, point people to the Savior, there's joy. There's joy. You say, Pastor, I wish I had joy in my life. Well, then go soul winning. Well, Pastor, I do. I try it, and it doesn't work. It does work. I'm here today to tell you it does work. But you know what? How many have ever planted a garden? I'm going to plant one seed. And I'm going to sit here and maybe that seed, you, know, you never know whether that seed's going to be good. You don't know about the soil. And you know, you can plant that one seed and say, I've done it and I'm expecting it to be. Well, in the Old Testament, it talks about Ecclesiastes. We're to sow the seed because we don't know whether this or that or both alike are going to produce. So if you want to be a soul winner, you want to see people get saved, the more you sow seed, the more opportunities you're going to find to see people come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Used to be when I went out soul winning many years ago, you'd knock on 100 homes and you might see, you know, one person get saved. Well, we're in a different world today. You got to go out and knock on a whole lot of doors and, you know, to find somebody who's interested. But, you know, it's that, usually it's that last house that you go and knock on. You say, well, you know what? I haven't seen anything here and here and here and here and here. That last house is the one usually that's where that person is that somebody wants to get saved. Brother Dean, the other day we were out soul winning. I mean, we were back up there in the, in, in, on the east side, and we were, we were knocking on doors, and there's a house that was way back there, and I took the one that was up here and close. I should have had that one, Brother Dean. That was my house. <laughs> Brother Dean went to that house way back there in the back, and there was a guy back there who wanted to get saved. See, folks, people are still, they still get saved today. Brother, Brother Dean came back with a little card, had the guy's name on it and everything. He said, Pastor, you got saved. You know what it does to a Christian? Boy, praise God. No, it doesn't affect me or anything like that. You just need to get right with God. I'm telling you. You just need to get right with God because when you get right with God and you love the things that God loves, you will love seeing people get saved. You will love it. It'll bring joy to your heart. Well, I just don't know that that'll ever happen in my life. Well, you know what? The things that are impossible with man are possible with God. I'll just pray that you get your heart right. I remember a bunch of young people in our church. We'd gone out and we'd gone soul winning. 
uh, we had taken a, a, a trip and went to different churches, and the kids sang, and they gave the testimony, and, they, and on the, the time, the, the young people, were, they were just fired up for the Lord. They were looking for, you know, they'd come down, and if you're sitting in a, if you're sitting in a restaurant, they'd just they'd come attracted. Hey, do you know you're on your way to heaven? And, they'd say, and, and the person said, well, no. Oh, well, can I share this with you? And they'd start talking to them. And they would do that all over the place. They were just sowing seed all over the place. Well, I'll tell you what, as a, as a youth pastor, that encouraged my heart. They got the message. And when we were done, we were gone for like a couple of weeks, and we came back home. They had led like 22 people to Christ. And we came into church, and they had had a pastor at that church, and uh, he was kind of like one of these, you know, come into the house of God. You say, well, pastor, why would you go to work at that? That's not what, I, I, I came to work with a guy that was a soul winner. Two months after we got in there, and we were working with him, he says, oh, pastor, uh, Brother Walker, I think we need to have a talk. I said, really, what, what about? He says, well, I'm leaving the church. I said, what? He says, yeah. He says, you got to you under, understand what's going on underneath here. And I said, why didn't you tell me? He says, you know, I mean, this guy t- had taken the church from like 60 people to 140 in two years. How did he do it? Winning people to Christ. People were getting saved. And uh, he, you know, it was, uh, it was the first Christian church of Hopeville. And he said, you know what? We're not a, we're not a Christian church. He said, well, pastor, what is in a name? Well, you have to understand about the, the name Christian Church. Christian Church, you say, well, they were Christians, right? Well, but, the, but they were part of an association which believed that when you get saved, you, you ask Jesus to be your Savior, and you go into the water baptism, and, and the, it's the water which really washes away your sins. That's not true. It's the blood of Jesus Christ which cleanses you from sin. It's not the water. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And he just wanted to change it to be a Baptist, Baptist church. And the people, they had, a, they had their uh, a constitution, and anybody who had ever been in the church could come in and vote. So people for 20 years back that didn't even attend the church, they went to another church. These people who wanted to keep the name the same, they went out to all these, these different places and got all these people, and, they got a, and when it came time to vote to change the name to be Baptist, they had more people in the church that night. They didn't come to the church. But they overrode the people that were there that had gotten saved that wanted to change the name. So the pastor said, you know what, I, I, gotta, I can't stay here with this situation. So he left, and a, a guy that was on staff, they asked him to be pastor, and he was just kind of like this. And so I'm trying to win the young people to, to, to help the people, the young people get on fire for Jesus, and they did, and they got, those people were getting saved. And, and uh, so we come back, and we come off of this choir tour, and and uh, their young people were giving testimonies that night about what God had done in their life and, and how the, they got a chance to lead somebody to the Lord, and they were telling about all this, and people were like this. And the young people came up to me and said, Pastor, what's wrong? I said, well, that's what happens when you don't go out and win people to Jesus Christ. You don't have a desire and a zeal to see people come to know Jesus Christ. Pretty soon we get comfortable. And the people would say, you know, uh, when they get to be old like us, they'll, they'll just kind of calm down. And they'll be, they'll be just like, I hope I never calm down. I hope I don't calm down. I hope I get more excited for Jesus Christ. Folks, can I tell you something? When you get excited for Jesus Christ, and you get excited about the things that he's excited about, there's joy in the presence. It says in the presence of the angels. Can I tell you something? It says in the presence of the angels. I don't think it's just the angels that are rejoicing. I think Jesus is rejoicing. He's rejoicing. Another one got saved. 
There's joy. Seeing others come to know Jesus Christ brings joy. There's another person that's, that was on, going to hell. They're on their way to go to heaven. How wonderful it is. What a benefit. You say, I want joy. Then go out and go soul winning. Sow seed. Sow it a lot. You say, well, I can guarantee you there's people out there that are looking for what you've got. And it'll give you joy. Notice the third benefit of leading others to, to Jesus Christ. We find it back there in 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 2, and that's this. There's a crown for those who know Jesus Christ, or those who are soul winners. There are, there's a crown that's going to be given one day for those that are soul winners. Notice he says, for what is our hope or our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. There's a crown of rejoicing. The Bible talks about five crowns that the believers are going to receive one day. And just because you're a believer does not mean you're going to get a crown. The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's some people that just, they ask Jesus to be their Savior, and that's it. They don't build on that, and, uh, or they live their life for their own motivation, for their own, the people notice who I am, look at who, how great I am. And they've received their reward. But for those who love Jesus and who, and who serve him, God talks about there's going to be a crown of life. In James chapter 1, verse number 12, it says that those who endure temptation shall receive the crown of life. When, you, when Satan tempts you and you, uh, you, you do what's right and you don't give in to sin, can I tell you something? There's a crown one day to receive. Crown of, crown of life. There's an incorruptible crown in, in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 through 27. It's bringing your body under subjection. There's a crown that's incorruptible. It's going to be given to you. Disciplining your life. Well, pastor, you know what? I'm not, not a disciplined person. Well, I can tell you one thing. You won't, probably won't receive that crown then. I just do, I live however I want to. You know what? There's, dis, there's a discipline in being a Christian. About studying the word of God and praying and going soul winning and going to church. Well, I just, I don't like to be a disciplined person. Well, can I tell you something? God came to change you and change me. He wants us to be disciplined. He wants us to be under, have, have our life under control. Do you have your life under control? Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. I think we need to go there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And look at verse number 25. He says, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. That means they're, they're under control. They have self-control in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. In other words, I, I bring my body under control. I discipline my life, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I live a disciplined life. As a Christian, you ought to have a disciplined life. Well, pastor, I've just been raised undisciplined. I know that's why Jesus came, to deliver you from yourself, to help you to realize a disciplined life is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus did always those things that pleased the Father. That's a disciplined life. Well, I live for myself some of the time. Well, I know, but God wants us to live our life for him. It's learning to discipline our life. Well, when, I, when, I, when people cut me off, I just, that, this is, you know, I just get mad at them. Well, I, just get, I start 
you know, saying all sorts of mean things. I, you know, when they're mean, I can be mean back. Well, can I tell you something? God came to save you from that type of life. Jesus, when Jesus was reviled, he reviled not again. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Grievous words stir up anger. Can I tell you something? God wants you to live his disciplined life, not your life. Coming to church, can I tell you something? It's a discipline of your life. You know what? On Sunday mornings, I get up to go to the house of God. Why? Because God said, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. Some people, well, they don't, I don't have to go to church. No, you don't have to go to church in order to be saved, but you have to go to church in order to be obedient. And every time the doors are open, you ought to be in the house of God. You know, it goes on to say in, in Hebrews 10, 25, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hey, it's getting really interesting to be saved and live for Jesus in these days. Hey, can I tell you something? Being a Christian isn't for sissies. I'll tell you what, there's people over there in the Ukraine right now. And by the way, the preens are okay. Heard uh, so far that they're doing okay. And uh, some missionaries that my son, they support. They're, they know the preens and they've been in contact with them and they were okay at this point. So praise the Lord. Hey, God is good. God is good, but I'll tell you what, there's going to be some trying times over there. There are trying times around the world for our Christian brothers and sisters. I praise God for the courage and the determination. You know what? We're going to live for God and we're going to serve God. Some of them will lay down their very lives for the cause of Christ. There's a crown of righteousness. The Bible says in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7-8, through 8, for those who love his appearing. Hey, would you love it if Jesus came right now? Oh, I tell you what, I'm looking forward. <laughs> he could come right now, and we could go to heaven. You say, well, pastor, but I'm building that new addition on my house. Can I tell you something? Leave it for the Antichrist. Well, pastor, you know what? I haven't made my next promotion. Can I tell you something? You can't get a better promotion than that one. It's where your perspective is. Well, pastor, you know what? I haven't gotten... I had a young person say... Pastor, I haven't gotten married yet. <laughs> he just kind of smiles. Like, well, that's nice. You know what? That's far greater to be with Jesus Christ, to be with the Lord. If you love the Lord, hey, there's going to be a crown. There's a crown of glory. It's a pastor's crown in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. A crown of glory for doing the work of the ministry, teaching and, and ministering and helping and encouraging people. Hey, there's a crown going to be one day given to pastors. But then there's one last one, and we see it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's the crown of rejoicing. Some people refer to it as the soul winner's crown. The believers of, of Thessalonica were the fruit that they had been investing their life and their time. Paul and Silas and Timothy had been investing their time in the things of God. Oh, my dear friend, you hear me say quite often, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. And you know that job that you're trying to get or you're trying to raise the, you know, earn the next million or, 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 or do this or do that. Can I tell you something? There's only one thing that's going to last for eternity. And it's doing the will of God. What a wonderful time it'll be when we get to heaven to find others that are there because we shared Christ with them. Because we supported missions. 
The gospel message went forth. We left a track and somebody read it and received Christ as their Savior. We went out on visitation. We went out on soul winning bus ministry. Got a chance to lead a mom or a daughter or a child to Christ. Let me ask you, will there be a crown of rejoicing there in heaven for you? Well, pastor, I'm just a good person. Doesn't, that's not how Jesus stacks all that up. I like what J. Vernon McGee said. He asked this question. He says, is there anyone going to be in heaven who will come up to you and thank you for having a part in giving out the word of God? Have you given your support to missions? See, Pastor, I don't know what missions is. It, we have people, we can't go to every place of the world, but we can send people to represent us, to give the gospel. That's what all these, these peoples, these, these uh, folk over on the, the left-hand side over here, those are our missionaries. They're representing us in different places of the world, giving the gospel out to these people so they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They go by faith, and we support them. That's how they go. They go and they present their mission, their work as a missionary, and, and we as a church say, okay, yeah, we want to we bind with you and, and be, be together with you as you go and you share the gospel. Have you given your support to missions? If you have someone you have never known, someone from the other side of the earth may come up to you and thank you for the support of missions. He will thank you for being interested in getting out the word of God because the word reached him and enabled him to be saved. That, my friend, is going to be a part of the reward that we will get in heaven. We need to recognize that. It is a wonderful hope to look forward to a time when Christ takes, us, takes the church out of this world. It is even more joyous to, to know that someone who trusted Christ because of your witness will, will go along with you to meet the Lord. As we conclude today, dear Christian, are you experiencing the benefits of winning others to Jesus Christ? The hope, the message, it still works today, folks. Do you have joy in your heart because you've seen somebody who is going to hell at one moment and then receiving Christ as their Savior and now they're on their way to heaven? Do you have that joy in your heart? One day we're going to receive that, that, that crown of rejoicing that we can throw at Jesus' feet. Do you have that? Let me share with you, if you're here today and you've never been saved, you can come to Jesus today and have your sins forgiven. You can ask Jesus Christ to come and be your Savior today. As I've said, we're all sinners. Romans 3.10, 3, there's... None righteous, no, not one. In Ezekiel 18, 4, Behold, all, all souls are mine, God says. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. If you've ever sinned once, God says there's a wage for your sin. You're going to die. But God said in Romans 5, 8, God commended, he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Will we not receive him as our Savior today? Believe he died, he was buried, and rose again. Hey, don't put off making a decision for Jesus Christ. It's the most important decision you can ever make in, in this life. Back in 1830, George Wilson was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail and was sentenced to be hanged. President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for Wilson, 
but he refused to accept it. The matter went to the Chief Justice Marshall, who concluded that Wilson would have to be executed. Marshall wrote, he says, a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. You know, for some, the pardon comes too late. But for others, the pardon that Jesus has come to give us is not accepted. So, Pastor, I just don't, I really don't want that. The wages of sin is death. God will carry out the execution of the sentence. But he's not willing, as we said, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus has paid for your sins. Will you not receive him today? I pray that you would. Dear Christian, don't miss out on winning others for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, how important it is to win others for Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving my soul. Lord, I, I'm a sinner, just like everyone else. I know I deserve to go to hell because I've sinned. But I thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, came and he died for me. He shed his precious blood on the cross and he willingly gave his life. He was buried and he rose again that I might have life and have it more abundantly. Father, today I pray for those that are here those who may have never received Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray today that they would come to that place where they will accept Jesus into their heart. God, I pray that you'd burden their heart. I pray that the words that we've said this morning will burden into their mind, into their thoughts. The person who comes to Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, shall cleanse us from all sin. The blood... That if we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today or one that's listening by the internet, that if they know not Jesus, they would come and ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior. They would humble themselves and pray and say, God, please, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I want him to come into my heart, into my life, and save me right now. In Jesus' name. If you're like that this morning and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, but you prayed right now and asked him to come into your life, would you do me a favor and just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer this morning. I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Let me ask you another question, dear Christian. Have you ever, ever led somebody to Jesus Christ? You say, well, Pastor, I, I've never done that before. I pray that this message this morning has challenged you. Step out in faith. Sow the seed. Ask people if they're on their way to heaven, if they know Jesus as their Savior. Give the gospel out. I pray that you would just ask God, help me this year to lead someone to Jesus Christ. Dear Father, I pray that you would just work in our hearts in this time of invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Scott.